Welcome to the Ignite Physio Podcast. This podcast inspires physiotherapists and other health professionals to continue learning and growing in their practice and career. We explore professional issues with a fresh lens and delve into topics that help to expand our capacity for growth. This is episode number 40, and I'm Andrew. And I'm Maxie. And today we're talking with uh, Dave Walton. He's an associate professor with uh, the School of Physical Therapy at Western University. He has a PhD in rehab science and has over 70 scientific publications. He's an advocate for the profession as well as those who live in pain. Last year, he started a project called Physio Moves Canada, which focused on getting input about the current state of the PT profession and the future direction of the profession within Canada. Dave, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, guys. All right. So, Dave, we saw you at, uh, at uh, the CPA Leadership Forum. You presented uh, your project, the findings from your project there. And I know you've been doing a lot of different presentations to different, different communities or different stakeholders, especially within the physio profession. So we're wondering, in terms of this project, what inspired you to do this? How did this sort of all start to come about? Yeah, that's a good question, because you'd have to be slightly mad to really want to do this, wouldn't you? Well, I'm not quite sure where I fall, probably somewhere in the middle of that. If I sit here in my office at Western University, and I like to fancy myself a clinical researcher, I am aware that every day I sit here is a day more removed I get from the realities of frontline practice. So this was an opportunity as I approached my time for a sabbatical from my current faculty position that maybe an opportunity to get back out and reconnect with the clinical community. Despite the 10-year career as a clinician before starting academia, it's, it had been about seven years by that time. And I like to think that the, or the questions I'm asking as a clinical researcher are important. But of course, I'm sure there are many important questions out there. And I saw this as an opportunity initially to reconnect with the, with the clinical community and also to get some exposure to what clinical practice looks like outside of my own kind of comfortable little bubble here in southwestern Ontario, which is where I'd spent most of my career, both as a clinician and an academic. For example, I had no good sense of what it was like to provide care to Indigenous populations, to the military, to high-level athletes in some of the remote and, remote and rural areas of the country. And uh, yeah, so this was really an opportunity for me to connect, to get a sense of what's important to clinicians, see what is being done out there in particular in sort of innovative or unique ways, and get a little bit outside of my what had become a bit of a comfortable little, little bubble here. So that, so you're, you're going, okay, I want to get out there. I want to reconnect with the clinical community. I want to get a sense of really the scope, a broader scope of, of our practice, of our profession. Mm-hmm. But I mean, like you said, it's slightly mad. I mean, what you did, can you, can you just, can you describe what you did? Yeah. Yeah, I can. <laughs> um, I, so starting in, in, as of June of 2017, uh, just about a week after finishing my, my last summer course, I jumped on a plane from, from my hometown here in London, Ontario, and, and flew out to Deer Lake, Newfoundland. And for the next two months straight, traveled from Newfoundland across to, we went as far west as Whitehorse, uh, Yukon, most of it by car. Uh, we cheated a little bit right at the very end by plane in order to sort of Get things done in a reasonable time frame, but yeah, we we covered about twelve thousand kilometers by car alone, um, just because we sort of didn't do straight across. We kind of went up, 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 down, up, down, and at the end of that, flew back to London, and then for the about a month or so following that, I did the rest of of southern Ontario. We kind of had to skip that during the the primary road trip, kind of did the Ottawa to Winnipeg leg and skipped out southern Ontario. So I, I did those as day trips once I got back. So all total, it was about a three-month project, really, by the time all was said and done. Traveled more kilometers than I, I sort of lost count. 
And at the time, as, as we went, we stopped. So I actually engaged in, let's see here, there were 26 clinical sites that I went and visited and spent some time at, uh, just get a sense of what people do there, talk with the clinicians. I engaged, I think, around 120 or so physiotherapists, just around 30 clients as well, really asking them some of the deeper questions. The clients, I asked them about the importance of mobility in their lives and what that means. The clinicians, I asked them about the threats and opportunities facing the profession, their take on educational and training priorities, research priorities, and again, wanted to look for innovative practice that was happening out there, really with a focus of asking the question, what are we going to be as a profession five, 10 or 15 years from now? Right. And I guess, you know, thinking about that and, and the idea of where the profession is heading, where our profession is heading in this country, is heading internationally in a healthcare ecosystem that is really in flux, changing how we need to evolve as a profession or what we need to be thinking of in the future to be able to adapt or clarify what we what we are, who we are, what we do. Would you say that that's kind of like a sort of a focus or one of the higher level reasons why you did this? Well, yeah, for sure. I mean, if you really want to say, why do I do this? It's because I'm a freakishly proud physical therapist, really. And I, I am proud of the career path I've chosen. I believe this is a very noble profession. And if and when we live up to our full potential, we can make a true change in not just people's lives, I think we're doing that a lot, but also in healthcare in general, both nationally and internationally. And I'm not entirely sure we've, we've achieved that yet. I mean, as, as we approach our 100th anniversary here in Canada as a profession, there's still this question of, do we know exactly what we want to be when we grow up? So that was, for me, kind of a big, a big part of, of this is, you know, what in sort of some small little way, my own little way, can I contribute? Can I help drive this profession towards really realizing its full potential and as you mentioned, Maxi, we're, we're sort of standing in my mind at a critical nexus in our professional evolution right now. I mean, like April 27th, 2018, we, this is a critical crossroads. If you project out over the next five or 10 years, it's not just physio, but healthcare in general, and frankly, just the world, the, the, very, the very nature of what we consider normal is going to change. And I think part of my concern, if I can say this, and I, I do my best to sort of keep my own biases out of this, but of course, we all know as researchers, you can never fully separate yourself from your biases. But Part of my concern is that if you were to pluck, you know, Dave Walton circa 1999 out of his brand new clinical practice as, as an independent provider and plunk him into practice in 2018, he'd probably still be very comfortable in that role. And that you could sort of take to say, geez, we haven't really changed a whole lot over the past 20 years, maybe 30 years, maybe longer than that. And yet it seems to me that the world is changing very rapidly. That, I guess, in a nutshell, Maxi, to answer your question is sort of where some of my passion and drive for this came from. So what did you uncover, uh, Dave, in terms of some of the, the, the key challenges that you sort of identified as overarching uh, challenges through the trip? Yeah, so, I mean, I, I'll, I'll talk about the threats as long as we can also talk about the opportunities. Oh, I don't yeah, want sure. to yeah. <laughs> The sky is falling, although I will say that I, I do believe that unless we have some very difficult conversations amongst ourselves, we, we do risk being left behind. And that perhaps, I guess, to, to sort of encapsulate the threats is really, that's probably a good way of, of saying this, is that if we sort of lift our heads from within our own little sphere and survey our landscape around us and see, you know, where is it that people with pain and mobility problems are, are going? It's not automatically to physio. In fact, sometimes that's not the second or third or even fourth choice. 
this, this whole field of managing pain, mobility, whatever it is you think that, that physios do, is becoming increasingly crowded by not just paraprofessionals, which there are. I mean, right here, I could probably walk within about a 20-minute walk. I'm sure I'll come across a laser pain management clinic or an acupuncture clinic at the university here. So there's lots of that sort of paraprofessional group out there who are, I guess you could say, competitors. But then there's whole, I mean, it may not even be people. I mean, artificial intelligence and, and automation and things like that. I mean, where where do we fit into all this? And 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 that's probably when I when I asked about threats, it really the biggest thing that came up was branding. And I think that's sort of associated with this, that how do we brand ourselves? Who are we? Who do we want to be? Who should we be? Are we content to continue to compete with the other providers out there who do parts of what we do? There may not be others who do all of who can do all of what we do, but truth be told, I'm not even entirely sure most physios know all of what we do. But there are lots of them out there who do parts of what we do, and and so if we if we start to have this conversation, and this is this is part of the big threats, is that people have just had a sense that as a profession, we're not sure who exactly who we are, who we need to be. At the time, they this was last year, they were concerned that there wasn't a clear direction forward, and I'm not entirely sure that that's been rectified just yet. There were, of course, increasing concerns about not just competitors in the private space, but also changing funding models in the public space. That was really interesting for me, just as a quick aside here, but to highlight this point, as I rolled into Winnipeg 48 hours after the Winnipeg Regional Health Authority announced they were delisting adult outpatient physio, that was just sort of an example of the kinds of things, the kind of clawback, it's those little bits, those little bits that are being pecked away from our sort of uh, you know traditional sphere of influence. And if I was to sort of paraphrase a lot of what I heard and, and sort of step back and try and interpret it, it's not that, you know, the bottom's about to fall out and we're all going to suddenly be without a job tomorrow, but instead that over the, over the coming years, if we don't start to, to perhaps redirect ourselves, reorient ourselves, then it's these little bits that are going to be sort of pulled out of our sphere such that, you know, we risk 10 or 15 years from now finally raising our heads, surveying our kingdom and asking ourselves, where did it all go? Yeah, it's interesting because, I mean, I think that, uh, yeah, if you'd get a, a room of 20 physios and ask, uh, you know, what is our profession or what are we about or how would you define physiotherapy? I mean, I think you would probably get 20 different answers, <laughs> you know, in that conversation. And I think, you know, I, I just remember something from what you said at, at the CPA Leadership Forum. And this is certainly not to disparage any therapist or the types of techniques or treatments that they do, but we're still worried about whether an SI joint is, is mobile and we're doing STEM research and artificial intelligence and there's a digitization of the health system. And how are we aware of all those things and how do we need to be able to communicate in that kind of a, an environment? How does that then influence how we can influence the healthcare system? Because essentially, like what I get concerned about a little bit when you, when you talk about branding, and I've said this before, and I, I understand the idea of, 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 yeah, we need to have a solid face, right, to what we do and, and so that we, we have some sort of principled approach and consistent approach to how we communicate our value, yeah. our, like our value proposition, right? But at the same time, I get concerned that that, that branding also pulls us more inward and more, more profession-centric versus looking to actually what our you know, mission is as, as a profession is to, is to help people, is to help people become more healthy, live healthy, healthier lifestyles and, and be a part of that for them. So I'm not sure that there's a, there's a response to that, but 
a lot of the branding conversation ended up inevitably drawing comparisons to other professions, as I'm sure you wouldn't be surprised to know. So, you know, chiropractors came up a lot as a group that has actually quite successfully branded itself, if you will, to the point now that, well, at least we're seeing it here in Ontario, when there are big policy decisions to be made, now chiropractors are being invited to those tables sometimes even before physios are. So that's, so they've somehow done it right, I guess you could say. But perhaps there's something we can learn there. Dentist actually, dentistry came up a lot as well in those conversations. And I think that's one of the, what was probably the thing that more really surprised me the most was the number of times that dentistry was brought up as a comp, as an analogy. But when you think about it, it's actually quite, quite an apropos comparison in that, I mean, I get up every morning and I brush my teeth and I do it again before I go to bed. And I don't really know why I brush my teeth twice a day. I learned it somewhere as a kid. Probably a dentist told me to do it. I don't think I'm doing it because I have a cavity. I think I'm doing it because I'm trying to prevent cavities, which is probably the same reason I see a dentist every nine or 10 months, not because I have a problem, but because I'm trying to prevent a problem. That's not what physio has traditionally done, right? We've really only ever had a role traditionally after somebody's been injured or ill or, or surgically repaired. So I think it was really, that that's becomes a really interesting comparison, even more so than the chiropractors to me. I get the chiropractors working the same general space as we do for for the most part, and I'm, I'm making some broad stroke comparisons here, of course, because I'm talking mostly about MSK orthopedic rehab in this conversation. But the, the comparison with dentists was really interesting. As people started to say, hey, we recognize that, that the public is becoming increasingly interested in health promotion and, and illness prevention or injury prevention, yet the funding models under which physiotherapy currently operates, in fact, even some of our regulatory bodies do not allow us to provide care unless somebody has a problem. So, you know, if that's the case, how do we get into the space of promotion and prevention? And if we're not getting into it, then who is, <laughs> right? I mean, that uh, now is a gap that I think physio could very much be uh, a leader in, right? And then I think, yeah, it's true. So what other, what other challenges or threats did you see, Dave? So there's, for what I'm hearing is one is the branding issue. We don't really have a, a cohesive or consistent message that we're telling the public or other the healthcare system or ourselves. <laughs> so that's obviously a big one. <laughs> um, what else did you see? Yeah, probably the other, uh, I mean, there were several. So I actually have, I think, seven or eight sort of strong meta themes, but I, I won't touch on all of them here. But another one that was big and common was our, our training, our current training approaches for both pre and post-professional clinicians that with our mostly two, maybe two and a half years, if you're in Alberta training programs, there's simply... It depends on who you talk to, but I would say maybe that you could say there's not enough time. Some people said there's not enough time to now develop all of these new and emerging competencies that, that need to be developed while at the same time still developing the traditional ones. Others said that what we are developing our clinicians are in fact not the right competencies to be effective providers going forward. Still others said we're only seen as a two-year program. Going back to the branding comment, it's, it's kind of hard to sort of play in the sa same sandbox as, you know, medicine that might be a six or eight year, uh, you know, educational process or longer in some cases. So the, the idea of the content of our educational programs, the structure of them, right down to, you know, people commented on the duration of clinical rotations or clinical placements, the way we evaluate our competencies, which really are not competency-based evaluations in most cases. They're often checklists focused more on mimicry of a, of a particular technique or, you know, recitation of a, of a memorized script that somehow we're missing out on developing sort of creative, flexible, critically thinking, empathic clinical reasoners. That was probably the other biggest thing that came up as a threat is that, and, and again, I'm going to go back to my old analogy that, again, if you took Dave from our Bachelor's of Science in Physiotherapy program circa 1998, we'll say now, 
and 20 years later pop them into our Masters of Physical Therapy program. Again, the PowerPoint slides might look a little bit nicer, but by and large, the content and the structure has essentially remained unchanged. And I know that's not consistently created the case across the whole board, but on in broad strokes, that is sort of the case, that we, we haven't really as a profession evolved that quickly. You know, and there's going to be questions. We've got clinicians who are going to have to come out and they're going to be able to have to be able to answer questions such as how do you appraise a new technology, for example, a new rehab technology? How do you respond when a patient says, okay, marijuana is legal now. Should I use that for my manage my pain? I can get it from the corner store. I mean, those are just simple examples, but you know, when do I need imaging? When should I prescribe it? Pharmaceuticals. There's so many other things out there. You know, what are we going to do the first time a patient rocks into your clinic with their 23andMe genetic results, which they can now get for $100 and says, here's my genetic profile. Can I get a personalized rehab program according to my profile? There's evidence to suggest that there's probably a genetic response to things like exercise and certainly there's genetic components to pain. Should we be able to answer those questions? So lots of, lots of that kinds of conversation that things we need to think about. Again, as a profession, do we think these are important? Are these competencies that we need to develop even at the pre-professional level? And then uh, lots of conversation about the post-professional development landscape as well. And I mean, I'm not sure how much, how much I need to go into that. You can probably guess at some of that, but just the idea that there are relatively few opportunities or options out there for, you know, sort of recognized professional development as far as creating a, a unique career pathway. And yet, Interestingly, we all proudly graduate as generalists from our training programs, meaning that we put a tremendous amount of pressure and focus on continuing professional development in order to sort of start into a career pathway and develop some expertise. And yet that, that world is completely unregulated. There's, there's yeah. no oversight to that at all. So that was another issue that often came up. Yeah, I know like, you know, in our courses database in Ignite, I mean, I think there's, we have over a hundred courses that are just offered in Canada that are in-person courses. And it's really, I mean, I sort of call it the wild west. I mean, there's really no, <laughs> there's no accreditation. You have no idea the quality of these courses and who's actually doing the instruction and anyone can put out their shingle and, and offer a course. Hey, I just wanted to have a quick pause to introduce you to today's podcast sponsor, Soul. They're off-the-shelf moldable insoles, and it's the brand of insoles that I recommend to my patients and have for years. The reason I recommend them is that they're heat moldable by the patient, they've got a great arch support, and they come with options to help with different foot issues. It's really easy for customers to order, and when you refer them to Soul, they get free shipping and 10% off. Make sure to check them out at yoursoul.com forward slash health dash professionals. That's Y-O-U-R s-o-l-e dot com forward slash health dash professionals all right back to the show good and i mean you guys are finally doing something about it which is to have a, a reviews platform which yeah. is i think a good, a good first step there are ongoing questions though i mean what what cpd is needed in this world saskatchewan does a decent job they've got a centralized cpd manager there. but i think that's the only province that i know of that does that so yeah what what do we need what are we missing should we, should all of my students, does it make sense that all of my students before they graduate from here at Western Health will have already done their level one of the ortho exam system. They've already done most of them, their part A of the McKenzie and most of them, their part A or level one for acupuncture and dry needling. Does that make sense? Or what are we creating? If those are that important, first of all, A, should they not be essential competencies or B, if they're not that important, why is it that they've already started sprinting towards some un, unknown <laughs> line before they've even graduated? So we've talked about some challenges. But you also certainly saw a real a lot of fantastic 
physios and 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 just how they were innovating and how they were they were really changing lives of the people that they they worked with right and so you could just speak to some of the opportunities and some of the some of the good things the highlights in that way yeah for sure and and I, I will say this, like I say, I don't want to be the one running around saying, oh, the sky is falling. We better start training for something else. There are definitely opportunities out there. Now, that said, in order to accomplish or reach some of those, we are going to need to change some of our, our sort of current thinking. We are going to need to perhaps look for some funding models that will function better. I use the example of prevention and health promotion. But nonetheless, I think these can also be opportunities. In fact, we could even phrase any of those threats as an opportunity. So you look at, for example, shifting funding models. Well, they are going to require innovation. There's, there, you know, funding models, especially in a public health system, demand efficiencies, demand effective care and effective outcomes. Now, if we, for example, as a profession, were able to start to populate or create some kind of a clinical outcomes database to show exactly what we can do with people to demonstrate our value. And I know CPA tried this and it, it didn't necessarily get off the ground all that well, but somebody will do that right. And, and that could be an opportunity, which is, you know, as a profession, we're, we're a small enough profession. I mean, we're big, but we're also tight-knit enough to be able to, to contribute to that. So I guess to sort of go back to that initial question then about opportunities, and, and I think just to be clear that, you know, any threat could be flipped around to be an opportunity if you're willing to see it. But certainly the funding models piece, some people saw that as an opportunity because we, have, we are in good position to save the system some money, to improve efficiencies, to help with things like triage for surgery, to help with things like primary care for, for issues of pain and mobility. We have for years thrived in a two-tiered healthcare system as ourselves, as physios. We, we are one of the few professions who really do strongly have a foot in both public and privately funded models. And so we might, you know, maybe we need to stand up and take some leadership in that. Other opportunities included that people recognize we're maturing academic discipline, that physical therapy as a, as a discipline is now recognized or increasingly recognized. We've got a, a maturing cohort of master's trained clinicians out there who ought to be, you'd think, more amenable to sort of critical thinking and appraisal of, of new information. So maybe we can use that as well. We've got a lot of public discourse and a, just a changing consumer sort of focus and priorities around things like non-pharmaceutical management for pain, for example, that's sort of a current big discourse, but, you know, the exercises medicine movement is sort of helping there as well. And again, people are becoming more interested in relying on, less on medicine and more on, on non-pharmaceutical, non-medical approaches that we could lead in. Others recognize that the time is now, the time is right for education reform. I mean, if, we, if, if a threat was we don't change our educational standards now, then perhaps the opportunity here is, is let's do that. And we, we have the chance. There has been a new essential competencies profile just released. There has been you know, an increasing number of accredited physical therapy assistant programs. So that might be something that we sort of start to tap into a bit more. We've got a clinical specialty or specialization program. Maybe that's something that needs to be fleshed out a little bit more, made it a little bit more accessible to people so that we actually have specialists in such, you know, in the same way that if you need to engage with a physician, you know if you should go to an endocrinologist or a psychiatrist. Most people know the difference between those two. Could we not do the same thing in physiotherapy? So there's some thought there. And then the, the, the last one that people recognize, and again, keep in mind the context was 2017. There was some change in leadership in the National Association level. And so people just saw, you know, it's a new world new leadership, and this is an opportunity for, for us to sort of, you know, take the reins and create our own future rather than get pulled along behind it, has, which has been sort of our MO in the past. One thing I thought was really nice as an opportunity was if you look across the, the global geopolitical climate, 
boy, it seems like the world could use some sort of humble, rational, kind, <laughs> empathetic providers, and, and maybe we're the ones to, to fill that role. So was there anything that you heard when you were out there that surprised you, that you weren't expecting to hear? You know, the simple answer will be yes. I'd have to, I'd have to go back through my memory archives and, and remember exactly what some of those were. And say, again, the, the comparison to dentistry, I think, was something I hadn't thought of before. Uh, so that sort of, uh, yeah, yeah, you know, that kind of makes sense. What, if, what, would, what would it take for physios to come into elementary schools and teach kids about, you know, maintaining their, their physical health in the same way that dentists come in and teach kids about maintaining their oral health? Geez, that'd be kind of interesting. The real thrust for primary care as, uh, as physio, I don't know if I was surprised by that, but I was, I was more, it was interesting to see how many other clinicians also share that as a priority is true primary care where literally you walk into your you know your family health team or whatever and you if you have a weird sniffle or a or a rash or something you turn left to see your family physician but if you have a a pain or mobility problem you turn right to see your family physio seems to be a lot of uh, push for that but i will say that probably when we talk about surprise it was almost more on the personal level and and i i'm not sure if we're going to talk about sort of how it's maybe affected me personally but I can say I came out of this project as a different person than I entered it. And I have to think that's a pretty good outcome for any research project. And the thing that probably touched me the most was the time I, the, the, the time I had the opportunity to spend on our Indigenous and First Nations reserves and communities here, here in Canada. And really, I would say, honestly, for the first time in my life, I mean, I'm not sure if people are seeing video, they probably won't, but I'm a middle-aged white guy. I'm probably the target demographic for most most marketers and things like that. And and you know, one of the least least stereotyped against demographics, I suppose, in the world. And, you know, to really engage in deep conversation with with some of our indigenous community members and really learn about their experiences, understand more about the way they react or think about Western medicine, hear from one in great detail about her experiences in a residential school. And also to have to have seen what true poverty looks like, which is again I think as, you know I've lived a somewhat blessed life to that to that extent, and and yet to walk into somebody's house and in fact into somebody's bedroom, who these people don't need, know me from from anyone else off the street, and they've welcomed me into their their homes and, and their bedrooms to talk about you know in my mind talk about mobility and physiotherapy and. What I found is I actually got more out of that. <laughs> I think I, I left, yeah, I, I left having learned more than they would have for sure. I guess that's why I was there. But despite many people, sometimes having nothing, still making sure we left their house with something and just being so generous and being so open and, and warm. And truth be told, even when I talk about it now, it still gives me the feels just a little bit because I, I, was, I would say I was so largely ignorant about many of these communities before I started that I guess you would call that a surprise, something that changed me. Just in just an often a tangent in some related work that that I'm doing right now, you know, we there's always high, there's always high level talk about including being inclusive and and including different you know communities and you know indigenous communities and peoples and whether it's indigenous communities or or LGBTQ or now it's an aging population as well that can be I don't I don't like to to go into talking about marginalized populations but populations are groups of people who who maybe have not receive due attention for specific reasons and that you've had this experience this transformational experience where you know we have the truth and reconciliation commission come out and say in terms of a call to action to collaborate with indigenous peoples 
and not just not just in in face only, not tokenistic, but really engaging with them to include their ways of knowing, to include, you know, for in terms of research methodologies and ways of knowing that are implicit to their culture, and that that it seems like there needs to be some sort of real true recognition of that and how that even we're talking about training programs how does that influence our training programs when we're talking about we need to be a more inclusive profession we need to think more inclusively and we need to be able to to see health from different eyes from different communities in their eyes from within their own communities i've learned i learned about the term two-eyed seeing which is something that they often use, yeah. Um, the idea of sort of looking at issues, not just health issues, but any kind of global issue, but looking at it through both traditional First Nations view, as well as perhaps more sort of Western Eurocentric view, and, and just how looking at things from both sides at the same time can sometimes result in more innovative solutions. So was there anything that you thought you would hear that you didn't hear, or that you wanted to hear, or you were hoping to hear? I'll tell you the thing I was most happy to hear was anytime people started talking about issues around funding models and access, including in Winnipeg. So I, again, I, I rolled in expecting to get a lot of vitriol about, you know, people have just been handed pink slips, they're going to lose their jobs. And yeah, certainly people were, were, were unhappy, although they were rational about it. And I thought what was heartwarming to me, if you will, as a, as a madly passionate physio was that what they were most upset about wasn't that they were going to lose their jobs, but was about how their patients are going to access care. And that just, I mean, that to me sort of speaks volumes about what I love about this profession. And while sometimes it drives me a little bit mad that we're sort of very quietly confident, we're very humble, we're very altruistic, we occasionally sort of relish in the martyr role, which is probably hasn't really served us well from an advocacy perspective in the past. But I, I, also, um, I also love that about this profession. And, and I saw that on display. Well, I, was, I was happy to see that. So Dave, you've done a, a, you know, a number of different presentations, Leadership Forum, Alberta's uh, conference. You know, what's been the reaction from people that you've uh, talked to and presented about your trip and about your findings and, and what, what sort of has been the outcome of that? Yeah, you know, it's been, it's been quite interesting because as you can imagine, it's not always a super happy message to deliver. <laughs> as, I'm, as I'm talking about threats and things like that facing the profession and saying that, you know, we probably really do need to change here. We need to have some hard conversations. There are some things we're probably going to have to let go in order to refocus our efforts towards things that we can grab onto and do well. And you never know how that's going to go over. I will say so far, the response has been overwhelmingly positive. In fact, uh, standing ovation at the, at the CPA Leadership Forum, which was pretty nice to see from some people anyway. Because that's the group, if anything, it's, that's the group, is, is the ones who really should be taking most of this to heart. You know, I mean, they're the ones who are meant to be leading our profession, hence the leadership forum. And, you know, I could see it would have been easy for them to get quite upset about some of the things that I heard, but they weren't. Like I say, it was overwhelmingly positive. In that, and that's been my experience now. I've done this talk several times. This next one coming up after you is going to be for the Alliance of Physiotherapy Regulators in Canada. But I've done, as you say, PT Alberta, OPA the CPA Leadership Forum, the BC College. And so far, again, it's been, it's been very positive every time I've said it. It's almost as though people are looking for someone. I think they're hungry. They know change needs to be made, but they're looking for someone to stand up and say, okay, well, let's do it. Be done. And I think that's what I'm, I'm sensing. Yeah, that's funny because as you were talking, I'm just, I'm, I was just thinking to myself, you know, it's that kind of critical mass or that critical feeling of, 
we're on the edge of something, but nobody can take that leap. And we're all hoping that we all feel the same, <laughs> but then, you know, it's great to know and to get that sense, you know, from around the country that, yeah, actually we do feel that we need to change in its time and there are opportunities and there are people who are willing to do the work to, to initiate that change, to, to spearhead yeah. it. Then actually going back to your question about things that were somewhat of unexpected or surprising was actually just how consistent that, that view seemed to be across the entire country. Canada is a, a massive piece of land with a relatively low population. And the things that are important to the clinicians out in St. John's, Newfoundland are probably different to those out in Vancouver, BC. And yet many of the issues I heard were consistent across the entire country. So what do you feel that individual PTs can do to you know, contribute to this call for a renewed vision? and development? I, I saw two things on this trip. I saw some very passionate clinicians who make me very proud to call myself a physiotherapist and who are pushing boundaries. And I also saw apathy and disengagement. There were some focus groups we had to cancel because we couldn't even get four people to come out in, in some larger centers. And so I guess my, my answer to this question is what can individual physios do is, is be proud of who you are and the time you've spent Realize that you represent not only yourself, but a profession of 22,000 very passionate people in this country. Don't be afraid to make a little bit of noise. Again, I think the profession just sort of has naturally attracted people who do tend to be a little bit more quiet. And again, very admirable traits at times. But we need to toot our own horn from time to time because we've got some great things to say, some great things to offer. And let's do it. I, I would encourage people to get involved in their, in their professional associations as much as they can. Take a look at conferences that are put on. I mean, I've, I've now been to the provincial conferences of most associations, and they're always tremendous. And yet they're not always well attended. It's interesting. You always see the same sort of handful of people at every one. Anyway, I've seen that even just traveling around doing some teaching as well. You know, it's often sort of, you know, it's a small group of people who are sort of engaged in, in trying to push this thing forward. I, I would just encourage people to really look for opportunities to get involved. It doesn't have to be nationally or even provincially. It can be locally. Talk to your media, you know, really tout and, and blow your own horn of the, the great things that physiotherapy can offer to your community. And, uh, and let us know. I mean, let people know when you do that. Yeah, put it out there. Because I think the more we do that and the more other clinicians see you doing that, the more ever, everyone else is going to start to sort of slowly shift. And we're going to start to develop this groundswell of people who are willing to make some noise and stand up. And I think that that's where, that's where real professionally transformational change is going to happen. From a top-down, bottom-up perspective, we need leadership, but we also need that grassroots leadership and that grassroots energy and wisdom and sometimes tension and sometimes, you know, debate and some sparks. But, but at the same time, it's, it's, it's engagement and it's, it's all for the sake of, of, of moving us forward and evolving with the rest of the world. Yeah. We need some sparks and I'm, I'm sorry, I'm going to have to step away here in a few minutes, but we, we need constructive sparks. It's fine to have some academic debate. I will say, and I'm going to say this somewhat tongue-in-cheek, I don't think that you can have sound academic discourse in 280 characters. Those aren't the right platforms to do so at times. And, and unfortunately, I mean, I, I look at many of the conversations or the sometimes even arguments that are being had now on Facebook and Twitter, and we've had the exact same conversations for 20 years ever since I've been in this profession. The only difference is now it's being had out loud and in public. But as a result, that tells me we haven't moved. The needle hasn't really budged. And so those are some of the things that it might be time for us just sort of as a profession to kind of put to rest a little bit. Let's, let's maybe stop talking about the negative. Can't treat this. We don't have any effect on that. We shouldn't be doing this. 
And let's, let's maybe try and change just the nature of that discourse to what can we do? What should we be doing? But let's, let's try and develop into something a little bit more positive, optimistic, and future-focused, and more collaborative. Uh, you know, I get that we are, many of us work in a private industry. Many of us, frankly, are competitors with each other. It is what it is. That's the nature of the beast. But we are all still physical therapists. Let's not forget that. Yeah, and you've got to be off. We'll see you. Thanks a lot for taking time. Thanks for the invite. Appreciate it. Thanks, Tom. Well, I hope you enjoyed the episode. It's uh, great having you on the show today. Uh, now, if you've been enjoying the new show, I'd love for you to leave a review on uh, iTunes as this just helps uh, more people find out about the podcast and we'd love to, to get your feedback. And if you want to check out the show notes uh, from the podcast, just go to ignitephysio.ca forward slash podcasts. And if there's any topics that you want us to cover, just uh, shoot us an email at hello at ignitephysio.ca and we'll make sure to get back in touch with you and, and see what we can do there. So anyways, thanks for joining us on the show today. Take care. All right. Bye-bye.